we have been on a journey. Um, we have been on a journey through the book of Genesis. You guys get some stuff out of that. All right, nobody did. We're going to start that series over again. <laughs> We're moving on to Exodus. So if you didn't get anything from Genesis, I hope that you. Uh, I guess if we had, let's just say if we had to put a stamp on this, that the book of Genesis showed us that we got ourselves in a lot of trouble, right? Um, so now, uh, when we got to Genesis chapter 3, we saw that God said there is a, there is a redemptive plan. We, we are going to get this thing fixed. He already had a plan, because uh, he says in just a few verses, right after the fruit was eaten, that uh, the head of the serpent is going to be stepped on, right? And that's what we're seeing today. The spiritual warfare, the battles that we're seeing today is nothing more than the, the serpent just throwing his tail wherever he can to take out anybody and everybody uh, that he possibly can. But today, we're moving on to Exodus, um, talking about a guy named Moses. Y'all know that guy? Uh, one of my favorite parts of Easter growing up was, remember on the Easter weekends, they would always show Charleston Heston's Ten Commandments, right? Anybody ever watch that all the way through? No, I, I, lost, I never made it to the commandment part because I was a kid and would always fall asleep. But I love watching it and had all anticipation of watching the full thing. Uh, even recently, I found it on uh, one of these uh, Plex or something. I was trying to watch it, and, and I made it, still didn't make it to the Ten Commandments. I'm going to get there uh, one year. Uh, but if you remember, we talked about a guy named Joseph. Uh, when we last left Joseph, things was not going well outside, you know, had a dream, told his brothers, you're going to worship me. His brothers said, uh, I don't think so. They throw him in a pit and they sell him off. They give his coat of many colors because remember, we, we kind of picked up that Joseph was not this outstanding guy. He, he was a little bit of a, a daddy's boy um, who didn't think that he needed to do any kind of work. So his brothers concocted this story that he was killed by wild animals and they took his dad the bloody coat and they give the coat to him. In the meantime, they sold him off to the Ishmaelites. Remember this part? And then he ends up where? What place did he end up? In Egypt. Then this woman couldn't keep her eyes off of him. And remember what caused him his issues with his brothers was a garment. And what got him in trouble with Potiphar's wife was a garment. And then he's going to go to prison. And he's going to be eventually released from prison. And he's going to become the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. He, en he ends up saving Egypt, right? Now, we're going to fast forward to the book of Exodus because, remember, Joseph is in power, but now when we get to Exodus, the Jewish people have no power. They're now in bondage. They're now in slavery, and they're going to spend their time there for about 400 years. Uh, it's estimated there's about 1.5 million Hebrew people that Moses was called to come and lead out. So many years after Joseph dies, after he and his family and the faithfulness uh, of his God were forgotten, the Israelites become enslaved by the Egyptian people. And after the king called for the death, he wanted all of these Israelite newborns because he was so afraid that the Israelites were obeying the cultural mandate to populate the earth that there were going to be so many of them that eventually they were just going to overtake Egypt. So they needed to put a plan in place to kind of make that not happen. So they decided that what we're going to do is we're going to kill off all of the Israelite newborns. So as Moses' parents, they hid him. They put him in some reeds. Uh, and remember, we hold, got this whole story. He's in a basket. He's floating down the river, whitewater rafting. And he's discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. And he lives for 40 years in Pharaoh's house before 
He is exiled to the desert to live with his people where he's going to live in Midian for 40 years. And now he's being sent back to free the people that raised, that, that he kind of neglected, right? And so God wants to send him back. So in Exodus chapter 3, it opens up. Moses is a pretty insecure man. I mean, he starts out his life with a lot of confidence. Wouldn't you, if you were the prince of Egypt and you had all these things in your hand, he, the Bible tells you he's a good-looking guy. He's in a high-paying job. He's the adopted son of Pharaoh. But then he felt like God wanted him to do something. Namely, God tells him, I want you to deliver Israel from Egypt. But when he tries, things go bad. Jewish people mock him. Jewish people reject him. Pharaoh disowns him, and he ends up killing somebody. Would you say that this is a bad day at the office? Right? Because a bad day at work, everybody hates you, your boss fires you, and you kill somebody in the parking lot on the way out. You ever have one of those days? Don't confess that because we would, it would not be good. So he flees to the desert, and he ends up marrying a nomad girl, and he spends the next 40 years with her. He's not even his own. Moses is in his 60s, and he's still not living on his own. He is living with his father-in-law. He's living in his father-in-law's basement at 60 years old. I don't care what culture you're in. This doesn't look very good. Am I right? So that brings us to chapter 3. It says, meanwhile, Moses was shepherding. Anytime you see that word shepherding, there's some pretty important pieces to that. Moses is shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. And he came to, uh, to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a, within a bush. And as Moses looked, he saw the bush was on fire, but was not consumed. So Moses thought probably the same thing that you and I would think. I probably should go over and take a look at this, right? He says, so I, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't this bush burning up? So picture this. Moses is out in the, in the desert. He's shepherding, he's moving the flocks from place to place, and he sees this bush burning. Now, to us, that would be weird, right? But honestly, it's really not an uncommon thing in, in the desert of Sinai, even today, that sometimes it can get so hot that these bushes would burn into these flames spontaneously. The bush, though, the miracle is not that the bush was burning. The miracle is the bush was talking. And not just talking, it was the very presence of God in the bush. And so, even though it wasn't burning, it didn't burn up, it draws the presence of Moses to come, and then he hears this voice. You know, fire is probably one of the most inviting and terrifying things in the world, right? How many of you love a fire? There's a reason that we're having a together men's fire night, because guys are just drawn to fire, right? Uh, there's something terrifying. One of my favorite things to do is to go outside and just light a fire. I, a couple of weeks ago, I sat out by a fire like two hours by myself. Me, Chris Stapleton, and a fire. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't have my phone in my hand. It was just me staring at a fire. It was amazing, right? There's something about the fire, something that draws us. I remember when I uh, was working as an EMT, uh, we would go to calls that would be house fires that we would have to respond to. And there would always be these random people that would follow, right? You know, we call them rescue Rickies. Anybody in, in law enforcement or, or 
medical that you, you, these people will, they literally keep scanners and stuff in their cars because they just want to see a fire. Um, sometimes one of the most dangerous things that you could ever uh, have or experience on a call are people who have nothing to do with it that are just driving by filming. Uh, there was an accident uh, when I was uh, working that um, there's a car wreck and this older lady driving this 1950 army tank was coming through and she just starts turning, 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 watching, keeps turning, and she slammed into the back of somebody else. Because everybody loves a fire. Am I right? And so Moses has this fire, and it, and it, it draws them in. Because like I said, fires are inviting but both terrifying. So it should not surprise us that when God shoves into the forefront in the story of Exodus, he comes in the form of a thing that is inviting but also terrifying. And through the story of Exodus, what we're going to see is God kind of move all of these pieces behind the scenes to get his people to where they need to be. Look at verse 4. It says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am. Now, let's just be real. This is us talking. If you're out in your yard and the bush catches on fire and starts talking to you, what is your response? All right, you're trying to think, like, do I have food poisoning? There's some, you know, what, what's going on? But look at Moses. Moses says, here I am. I, I think Moses recognized the presence of God. I think that's the first thing. He didn't try to throw it off, and he, and he says that he answered, here I am. And he says, do not come closer. He said, remove the sandals from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the Lord, the God of your father. Now, because we've been reading through the Old Testament, this, these next few things should make a lot of sense to us, right? He says this, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham. Remember Abraham? Many nations, the promises that were given to Abraham. The God of Isaac, remember? He was the foreshadowing of Jesus. And the God of Jacob, he was a deceiver. You notice that God always, when, when Jacob was called Israel, Israel was his good side. Jacob was the bad side. You know that God continues to refer to him as Jacob because he's also not the God of the good. He's also the God in the bad, right? That's a whole other sermon. We'll get to that another time. And so Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He was afraid because, remember, inviting, terrifying. We call it imposter syndrome. You ever heard of that? Imposter syndrome is what we call it when you're working a job and you don't feel qualified for it and you are absolutely not qualified to be in the conversation and you're not capable to be able to do it. And at some point, I think we've all been in a position where we felt that we were unqualified. Am I right? I remember last year, a friend of mine, a pastor friend, invited me into a Zoom call. And we get in the Zoom meeting and the moment that my camera popped up and I saw the screen, there was a look of shock on my face. Because I didn't know what I was. He said, we got a couple of pastors gathering. You should join this call. It pops up. I look around at all the photos and the names. And immediately I realized, I think I have the wrong Zoom meeting. There were pastors in that meeting that if I named them, you would know them. They were New York Times bestsellers. They were uh, pastors who had consulted with presidents and had prayed in the White House. There were pastors who were very well-known speakers. There were pastors who grew very large, healthy churches. And then there was me. 
The pastor who took systematic theology twice got kicked out of Bible college once and commonly uses Google to spell check everything. And I was in the wrong place. You ever, you ever been in that, those positions where, where you find yourself somewhere that you do not feel qualified? Moses is in this position that he does not feel qualified. I mean, at this point, he's thinking, God, I, maybe, maybe you got the wrong person. Maybe you were waiting on my father, because my father-in-law, he's the priest. Maybe that's who you were looking for. And, and Moses gets this mission that he doesn't feel qualified for. He would say that I'm unqualified. I have my issues, but it doesn't matter to God because God never calls the qualified. He always qualifies those that he calls. But we, we, get, we mess that up so many times because we think God can't use me because. That's putting a barrier to him. When he calls us, he qualifies us. And when he told you to go and make disciples, to go to all nations, that was your qualification. Because let's be honest, when he says, teach them everything, teach them what to obey, would you agree with me that we have a hard time obeying half the things in the scripture? And you want me to teach them to obey? Why? Because it holds us accountable. And what he's asking us to do is to stop looking at all the reasons why we're not qualified and start looking to him to the cross that qualifies us. And here's Moses. He says, listen, dude, I, you just simply need to obey. That's all I'm asking you to do is just obey. But interestingly, Moses' insecurities, the very things that he felt that were keeping him from seeing how God could prepare him, actually were the very things that God was going to use. Think, think about it. Forty years, where has he been? In a desert. Doing what? Leading sheep through a wilderness, the wilderness of Israel. And he's going to have to help the Hebrew people escape from Egypt to the promised land. Well, guess what? He knows how to, how to herd unruly herds, right? He's learned that. He knows where all the water places are in the desert. He knows where all the dangers are. When he was in Egypt and he was in the palace, he saw how to set up governments. He learned how to write. He learned how to speak. Our circumstances can lead us to divine callings. But oftentimes we will find ourselves in circumstances and we'll say, hey, the, I can't, man. Like, the circumstances are too bad. God can't use me. But what Moses didn't see was the last 40 years of his life was not a waste. It was not just something to throw to the side. God was using him to go do something that he never thought he would do, which would go back to the very people that raised him and free the people that he belonged to. What if you looked at your life through the eyes of faith? That in everything, whether it was good or bad or exciting or disappointed or the tragedy, what if there was a loving, sovereign God who was using it all to prepare you for his works, for his kingdom work? What if, what if we're not disqualified? What if your disqualifications actually qualify you? Moses had some pain in his life. He is on the run. He went from the top. Have you noticed that all these guys like Joseph goes from the top or from the bottom to the top? Moses is going from the top to the bottom. But didn't God use both of them? Moses has pain in his life. He had to leave his family. He had to go on a run. He was wanted for murder. 
It was a fear going back into Egypt. He was, he was a wanted man. It was pain. And here he is in the middle of the desert, herding sheep, a long way from where he came from. But God appears to him. Our afflictions are seen by a God who cares. In the desert with just Moses, God makes a divine appointment in Mount, at Mount Sinai that day in Midian to speak directly to Moses, to get his attention, to have this conversation. He says in verse 7, then the Lord said, I have observed, listen to this, this is good news for us, everybody. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt. Listen, number one, we are his people. Nothing happens on his watch that catches him off guard. He knows your circumstances. He knows what you're going through. Guess what? He cares. And you may say, well, I don't feel like God cares. Have you talked to him about it? Because sometimes we spend more time talking to other people about what we're going through instead of to the one that we need to go to to start with. And he cares. He says, I've seen these things in Egypt. I've heard them crying, crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians, to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the territory. And I'm not going to even read all these. These, these are all the ites. The ites were causing all kinds of problems, Canaanites and Jebusites and all the other ites. And so because Israel's, the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, I have also seen the way that the Egyptians are pressing them. Therefore, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. If I'm Moses, I'm going, oh, time out. This is a great conversation, but they're going to kill me when I go to Pharaoh because I've abandoned them and I, and I killed someone. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And he answered, I will certainly be with you. Well, that, that wasn't the answer to the question, was it? He says, I certainly will be with you, and this will be the sign that you and I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this very mountain. You, Moses, mark my words, dude. When all is said and done, you will be back here with my people worshiping. At this, and I believe it was going to be a moment that when Moses gets back here, it was going to be the fulfillment of the promise, and that's what's going to give him the faith to fuel the fire to take them forward. I want you to notice how God deals with Moses' insecurities. Not in the same way that we usually would. He wasn't reinforcing Moses with positive thoughts or helping him discover the deeper meaning of his life or finding his inner lion. He didn't say, Moses, I want you to visualize walking into Pharaoh's court and, and experience all this feeling of just taking him down. And I just want you to know you're better and you're good. Say it with me, your integrity and you're so good. He wasn't doing any of that. He wasn't saying, Moses, you got this. You can do this. Here, man, here. Look in the mirror and tell me who you are. You remember Cool Runnings, that movie? Greatest movie ever made. And when they tell that guy, the Bob Sutter, to look in the mirror and you start telling yourself who you are, this is not how God works with Moses. There was none of that. God subtly, subtly, God shifts. God shifts the narrative back to himself, and he says this. Okay, cool. 
I'll be with you. Sometimes that's all we need. Not, okay, God, could you give me a five-step plan to the three-step plan so I have two main points so that I can get through this? He goes, here's the plan. I'm with you. Well, okay, what are we going to do? It doesn't matter. I'm with you. Start walking. Let's go. When we recognize who God is, our fear is calmed. Because God is calling Moses' position to recognize. You need to recognize my power. You need to recognize who I am. Because if you will, if you understand that I am the creator of the universe, our fear will be calmed. There, there is no fear. Because in God, First John says that it is his perfect what? Love that casts out all fear. It is in his presence that we will not have to fear anything. Look what he says in verse 13. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of, of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? But Moses still doesn't get it, does he? He keeps talking about his deficiencies. I'm going to be with you. Okay, I got it. But when they ask me who sent me, who am I, what name should I give? Because they're not going to believe me. So I, I need to know and in verse 13, he says, well, what, what if this happens? What if that happens? What should I do? Moses says, I'm, I'm not a good speaker. I'm not very smart. I'm not very successful. I'm in the wrong Zoom meeting. And God says, Moses, I didn't choose you because you were all of those things. I have enough of those things for the both of us. God doesn't really want the guy that says, Oh, I know God will pick me because I'm awesome and I'm, I'm wonderful and I won in the Bible drill competitions and I was fantastic with, with prayers and I, I could do all of it. And God, God was saying that those people are the clogs in the system. What he wants is people who are broken and feel insu uh, insufficient with themselves. He's looking for broken vessels, empty vessels who will allow him to work through them because he knows those are the people that will lean on him and not on their own understanding. Listen to me. Feeling inadequate is the prerequisite to being used by God. Don't discount yourself and discredit yourself because of your checkered past. We all have one. But that checkered past is covered in the blood of Jesus because of what he did on Calvary's cross. And we've been forgiven. Moses is left with this dilemma. He, he has these inadequacies. He, he has these things that he's worried that it's, it's not going to work for me because, God, you don't know me. I don't speak well. I can't do these things. I can't go back to where I'm wanted. And, and if I do, even if you're with me, who do I even say that you are? And God, God is fixing for the first time to get really personal and give a personal name. And God says, I am the, I am the God of unpromising material. He says, you, you may not be but I always am. God says, my name is I am. I, I can imagine in that conversation, when God tells us that his name is I am, it's like, what? I am what? Like, who's on first? You remember that whole thing? Yeah. And I just remember, like, I think Moses has probably got the stone tablet and he's ready to chisel in. He's like, all right, I am, what you got? Okay. I'm going to need more than that because I can't go, hey, I am sent me. Listen to this. In verse 14, he says, as God replied to Moses, I am who I am. 
Because remember, he said that uh, I am with you. I will be with you. He says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, if your brain's kind of spinning right now and confused, I feel like Moses was probably there. Because to us, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense when you don't fill in the blank. And God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites. The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I will be remembered in every generation. I am. And if you're to look up this name, you're to look up Yahweh or Jehovah or the Lord, the meaning would be this, is I am who I am. And this isn't great grammar, but it would translate into I be who I be. <laughs> the way the Hebrew is built out here is this, that is God's kind of saying in this really unique way, I have been who I have always been, and I will continue to always be consistent because I am who I am. I am not shaped by other people. I am not shaped by other people's opinions, and I will be who I will be. I am what matters in the future. Moses is like, oh, I think I got it. God, God has given his name. And this is a, a statement, it's a stunning circular argument about the grandeur and the transcendence of God. Because this is true, that we can believe that all the promises of God are true, everybody. You believe that. Everything he says, he says, my word will never return void. The promises of God are always yes and amen in him. And hear me. Why are the promises of God always true? Because I am who I am. And he's able to keep promises in ways that you and I are not able to keep promises. In the New Testament, Jesus takes this very statement on when he begins to make the same declarations of I am. To those who are hungry, Jesus says in John chapter 6, 35, I am the bread of life. To those who are thirsty, he says in John 7, I am the living water. To those who are in darkness, Jesus declares in John 8, I am the light. To those who need a fresh start in John 10, he says, I am the door. To those who feel abandoned in John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. To those who feel lost in John 14, he, he says, I am the way. To those who are confused, he says, I am the truth. And, and to those who are afraid of death, he says, I am the life. All you need is enough faith to take the next step into the calling that God has given you. Don't let the enemy disqualify you because of your past. God has redeemed you. Remember the Bible says in John chapter 10, I have come that you may have life and may have life to the fullest. The enemy comes to do three things. What? Steal, kill, and destroy. And if he will use everything in your past to destroy you. When the devil comes calling, send him straight to voicemail. Because he's got nothing new to say to you. Here Moses is, about to go take on one of the biggest things that he's ever done. Leading sheep is going to be interesting. That's going to be the easy job. Sheep don't complain. They don't argue. They just buy all day. And you just need to move them from place to place. His biggest task is he's going to have to move over 1.5 Hebrew people from point A to point B. And what should have been just a few days' journey ends up taking 40 years. 
Because the sheep didn't complain. But oh my goodness, do these people complain about every little thing. Moses is going to need this name of God. He's going to need this personal name of God to be able to accomplish the task that is before him. To be reminded that God is with me. You need to be reminded today that God is with you. He goes before you, he is behind you, he is beside you, he is under you, and he is above you. You are surrounded by his presence. Amen. God speaks into our lives a calling. And in that calling, we are called to obey. And when he calls us, we must respond with obedience. We have to respond with obedience. We're going to continue the next few weeks of watching Moses' journey and how understanding this name, which we could have gotten so much deeper in what, what this means for us. But that is what Moses is going to hinge on. He's going to hinge on the promise that God says, I am with you. And I know there are people here this morning that would say, I don't, I don't feel that. I don't even know if he is. I don't even know if he's real. Let me tell you something. I can tell you 100% God is real. You know how I know? Because I was spiritually dead and he's brought me to life. And I can't explain that. That I surrendered to his lordship and my life changed. That I let him be the pilot. I hate those license tags. God's my co-pilot and that's why your life's a mess. The Bible, we, I was having a conversation this week with some pastor friends. That this book right here is more than just a book. It's very words of God, living, active, breathing. This is what we surrender to his words, to who he is, to his truths. I don't need to feel like I've got it all together. It, it is okay. Listen, together church is a place of brokenness. You can be broken here and be safe here. You don't have to believe to belong to this place. We believe that faith is a journey. It's a process, right? You think every one of those Hebrews that Moses begins to lead out had it all together? I can promise you they didn't when you read the book of Exodus. You're going to find yourself reading through the book of Exodus this month going, these people just didn't get it. Why are you complaining? God, we need water. He gives them water. God, we need meat. He gives them meat. Oh, we don't want meat, so he gives them a lot of bread. Oh, we don't like bread anymore. Oh my gosh, like being on a road trip. Which was a road trip. Take this away today. Whatever he called you to, he will qualify you for and give you everything you need. Well, how do we know that? Because he is with you. If you don't know anything else today and you don't believe anything else today, here's, here's what I want you to really understand. God is with us. Through the good and the bad, nothing catches him off guard. I'll never forget going through, there was a time in my life I was going through some, just all kinds of mess was going on just spiritually. I, I was struggling. And one of my mentors, his name is Paul Lewis. Paul looked at me and, and set me down in his big Ford 650, whatever it was, I had to do chin-ups to get up in his truck, and, and 
Paul's much older than that. And Paul said, listen, little brother. God is not in heaven right now scratching his head going, oof. Sorry, man. I didn't see that one coming. He said, what God is doing is waiting on you to invite him into the situation. And you're going to have to worship your way through it. Some of the greatest advice I've ever gotten. For some of you, you're going to have to invite God into the situation. He's there, but you got to acknowledge it. you got to acknowledge he's here. God, I need your help. I need you. I need to surrender. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we close this morning? I, I just I want to ask you a couple of things. Number one, have you ever surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus? Has there been a moment in your life where you've said, I don't have this. I need you, God, to come save me, to rescue me. And if that's you this morning, I just want you to pray this prayer with me. It's not a magical prayer, but it's just a prayer of surrendering. And just say these words, God, I need you, and I surrender my life to you. Come and save me. Rescue me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And you defeated death and rose again. Thank you for saving me. And if you prayed that prayer this morning, we want to know. Because we want to help journey with you. This is just the start of a beautiful thing called discipleship. And if you prayed that prayer, your next step would be baptism. And at the end of our service, I want you to go to our welcome desk in the back. And I want you to sign up for baptism. We'll give you everything you need others in this during this time when we get ready to sing some of you just need to acknowledge that God is in your situation whether it's a good situation or a bad situation you can go to the back to the cross and you can write your prayer requests and your confessions you can pray with someone in the back you can take communion remembering that his body and his blood was broken for us and that is the qualifier so Jesus this morning I pray and thank you for all that you've done in this place may we just sing and respond as the gospel demands a response. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus.